This is episode number 100 of Patrick Jones Baseball. On this episode, we have Zach Dakent, who is the Senior Assistant Director of Strength Conditioning at TCU. In this episode, Zach goes over his approach to training his athletes. Um, it's a little bit more unconventional. He doesn't use back squatting. He doesn't bench press with his players. And more importantly, he explains why he doesn't do any of those exercises and kind of how he landscapes his program the way he does. Um, really appreciate everyone who has been listening through the first 100 episodes. Uh, cannot wait for the next 100. Uh, it feels like I honestly just started yesterday. and I, Again, I, it means so much whenever I, I go on iTunes and see a re- new review or uh, just something really small, an email. So I really appreciate uh, everyone who has listened um, these first 100. And without further ado, here is Zach Dakent. All right, and we are now live with Zach Dakin, who is the Senior Assistant Director of Strength Conditioning at TCU. Coach, really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, Patrick. I appreciate you having me. So you've been at TCU since 2008 now. Um, growing up, did you like always envision yourself as being a, some sort of strength conditioning coach or just in that industry in general? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. Um, I, I went to a really small high school. I had 70, I think 71 kids total in my entire high school. Um, as a, as a, uh, I think, 7th, 8th grader, ninth grader, somewhere in there, we didn't have a weight room. And I knew the only way I was going to take, you know, athletics beyond high school was to, uh, to, get, to be, get bigger, faster, and stronger. My dad kind of, you know, helped, helped guide me in that aspect. Um, so I built – I either built or went out and bought my own uh, rack, weight sets, um, everything that I could train with in my basement. So I started reading muscle media magazines back then, Ironman magazines to, to, to learn how to program, to learn what to do. Obviously, probably not the smartest thing, but but I, I had to kind of help myself. Um, and then when the time come, I didn't know at that time that I was going to be a strength coach or that's what I wanted to do. But I got into college and I really couldn't figure out what – what path I should go. And my dad said to me one day, he's like, well, why don't you train athletes? Why don't you, uh, why don't you make athletes better? You, you, you love that. That's what you study all the time. And a light bulb went off. And, and, uh, from that day forward, I, I pursued strength and conditioning. Yeah. And, and strength and condition, I, I feel like, uh, in general in the baseball world has really become big, probably within the last, really the last five years, but the last five to 10 years, and especially now in baseball when you see, uh, you know, so much of the movement screening going on and things like that. Um, how have you developed your own program at TCU over time from what you've learned? Sure. So, you know, the path that the path that I kind of took was uh, I was a, a strength coach within the uh, Anaheim Angels organization. Um, this was, you know, 2000, the mid 2000s, 2005, six, seven, somewhere in there. So I spent two years in their organization, and you're exactly right. Strength and conditioning, honestly, was was non-existent for the most part at that level in a lot of the organizations, most of the organizations. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't stay in professional baseball was because I wanted to I wanted to get out and I wanted to develop athletes. I wanted to to actually have a, a role in their in their development because we weren't utilizing that um, that avenue with any of the professional athletes that I saw, um, 
and not only that, I I really love developing young men or you know young men into into grown men. I guess you could say I, I want to develop young men, so that played a huge role in in me leaving to come to TCU so that I could uh, have that opportunity. Um, but it's to be honest, my philosophy came from outside of baseball and that's why we we probably do things a little bit backward from what most people think um everything that i learned came from the uh, eastern Bloc. a lot of times from uh the old soviet uh soviet texts and, and research that they did on athletes they had the most impressive sports system honestly in the history of the world and what you're seeing today with the data-driven you know all the data-driven uh studies and 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 research that's going on the soviets were doing it 60 70 years ago and they were they were putting it out and they were passing it around the country um, within their sports system and you know s- still today I go back and read Soviet sports reviews um, I study this the stuff that they were putting out at the time and so that's where a lot of my philosophy started from was actually um, training you know high high level athletes um, and then I've had to kind of uh, break that down a little bit to the level of the athlete that I work with now. And that's really what Movement Over Max is. That's how Movement Over Max is came about. Yeah, and I'm currently uh, reading reading your book, Movement Over Maxes. I'm about halfway through right now. And um, first of all, incredible job. It's, just, it's, it's a great, great book just because it, no matter – if you know nothing about the strength and conditioning side as a as a coach, or if you know just need a refresher, I think it's awesome. We'll uh, we'll be sure to put the link up um, on the show notes. One of the things that I, I've been like um, I really took from it is, and I'm sure you see this too with with the 60 yard dash and and how big of a deal speed is. And in here, you talk about uh, the 95 percent plus effort and how you know you don't train you know in sub maximal intensity zones of um of 70 75 to, to 95 percent which are too slow to train fast but um they're too intense to be um considered a recovery so when you do train athletes to be fast it's that 95 percent plus what what would that consist of like how many yards uh, like how long of a duration would that be sure so you know for us we say 95 percent plus Basically, what we want is we want athletes to run full speed every time that they're out. The only reason I don't say 100% is because, truthfully, you're not running 100% every time you sprint. You're not setting a PR every time you run a 30 or a 40 or whatever the case is. Um, and then the other thing is we don't necessarily want athletes trying to to run as fast as they can because we want to emphasize, you know, at, at some point with top speed, we want to emphasize relaxation. And the body works faster when you're relaxed. Um, the same the same principles honestly go with hitting and a lot of things in baseball as well, um, but for us the emphasis really lies in thirty yards and under. I would say, you know, ten and twenty yards is really our emphasis with our uh, with our baseball athletes. We want to build acceleration. We love top end speed, of course. Um, based on the calendar within the within the NCAA and the, the college schedule, a lot of times we don't fully get to our our top end speed training, but. Our emphasis is really 30 yards and under with full recoveries. That's so important, that full recovery. We want to let the nervous system recover so that the athletes can be at full speed again. Um, when you start running with you know less than full rests, your guys are fatigued. They can't produce the, exact, that's the same amount of force. They can't produce the same amount of velocities that they did before. And now you're not turning it, you're not, you're turning it into energy system work. You're not training for speed. Um, you're not training for maximal output. 
the yardages that, that I put in the book that you'll find are very low compared to what most people would probably think. You know, um, a low volume day for us generally is is under 150 total yards. So if we're performing 30 yard uh, 30 yard sprints or something along those lines, we might only do five runs, less than five runs. Um, as we get into the middle distance uh, or a moderate day, we work up maybe to 250, so 150 to 250. And then up to 350 for a high day, but those volumes are actually extremely low compared to, you know, what a coach might think when uh, when they're running 10, 15, 20 poles. Um, so yeah, we want we want intensity and speed at all times with full recoveries within our speed training. So if an athlete is ever gets in trouble, right? He shows up late to class. He uh, he he skips lifting. Is there is there some sort of punishment where it's he's not he's not running to to build speed he's running because he's in trouble? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that's that's a yeah that's a whole <laughs> different ball game right there. So, yeah, the the speed development for that probably goes out the window. Um, sure, we've we've done some things like that in the past where where a guy's going to pay a little bit of a price for uh, for uh, mistakes and things like that. Honestly, we really don't have a lot of those problems anymore just because of the. Because of the culture that Coach Sloshnagel has built here, and um, you know, it, it it's it's awesome because it transfers not only from the weight room and the baseball field are one. It's not two different, you know, two different sides, and that's what you see a lot of in uh, baseball programs still. Because strength and conditioning is really an afterthought. It's it's on the back burner. So the weight room is one side of the thing, and you know, you might have a, a drill sergeant coach over there, or a guy that came from a football background that that wants to run it like that but then you have a baseball guy that doesn't care about the weight room he doesn't emphasize it and so the culture the cultures are completely different and they really clash that's honestly what i think is one of the big um the big separators with with our program is that we don't have that clash what it's all one there's not the weight room in the baseball field this is all baseball performance love it um, in the book, you talk about the big five movement patterns, you know, the squat pattern, hip hinge, upper body, uh, pull, push, and then um, core pattern as well. Um, what do you think that high school players who are currently, you know, in the offseason training, should it be they're hitting um, upper body and lower body the same day? Or is it should they separate the lower body and upper body different days? So, I mean, our program is built around total body. We're going to use the body as, as we're going to use the body the same way that you use it as an athlete on the field, right? You don't get to separate upper and lower body when it comes to a to a weekend series. You know, I'm going to play with my upper body on Saturday, but th- just to save my legs for the big game on Sunday or whatever the case is. So we're going to train the body like like you use it um, within that within our foundation program. It's total body every day. Once we advance out of that foundation program, which you know is, is what you're talking about with movement over maxes, once we advance out of that uh, foundation program, we still train total body uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the most part. In the summer, with some of our uh, position players, if we need uh, size gains and, and things like that, if if they have needs outside of what we want to accomplish within that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, yeah, we might split a little bit, but we really don't find a need for that um, more times than not. Um, those big five patterns, those big five patterns are to me the essential. So every program that we write is built around those big five patterns in a total body format. And you guys in the book, um, you guys really don't do, or I guess you don't really, you really, you you don't ever do any back squat. It's always front squat. 
Right. Yeah. So we're a huge front squat program. I dropped the back squat. Uh, it's hard to say now, probably seven to eight, maybe more, more years ago. Um, and really what it came from was the amount of, uh, parse fractures that we were seeing at the time. I mean, we've got several reasons. There's, there's a whole list of reasons that I've kind of, I've written about and put posts out and things like that. But the main reason came from, um, parse fractures that we see in the South. Uh, the kids play baseball year round down here for the most part. You get up into the northern states and you talk about parse fractures. A lot of a lot of uh, coaches, athletes, trainers, they've never heard the term before. Is that lumbar now, spine? Yeah, so it's a lumbar spine, generally lower in the uh, lumbar spine, and it's it's a micro fracture essentially between the uh, transverse processes in the uh, in the uh, pars interarticularis is what it's actually called. But they're basically just small stress fractures from. Uh, overtraining it's extension and rotation and, and the inability to control extension and rotation and you think of a pitcher all right we see it a ton in pitchers pitchers have to get thoracic extension and a lot of times they can't um, they can't get that thoracic extension or they don't rotate well right and so they compensate through the uh, lumbar spine and you do that a thousand times a week and eventually you're gonna you're gonna run into a stress reaction and a stress fracture so uh, the front squat came out of the uh, need to get these guys out of an extended posture um, is really what it was. And we've never looked back. As, as soon as we move from the back squat to the front squat, I'll tell you right now, we don't have the, the uh, near the back issues that, that, you, that we used to. Uh, with a back squat, you always have a kid or two, you know, throughout a week or a month training cycle that says, you know, I kind of tweaked my back here and there. I tweaked it. Okay, well, we'll have to, we'll have to adjust the program a little bit. We don't have that problem with the front squat. I, I never see that with the front squat, um, and it's it's been it's been huge for us to be honest. Do if if someone is doing the if doing squats with like a safety squat bar, does that help in any matter? So you know we use the safety squat bar quite a bit. Um, the thing is, I still think the safety bar, the safety squat bar can can put you in an extended posture really when you look at the back squat and here's another you know reason back on the uh, previous question you look at the back squat kids can get a back squat up any number of ways right where their body is contorted you know their butts rising faster than their shoulders which is honestly one of the big big problems butt rises faster than the shoulders and you have no choice but to be extended right and to and to put pressure through through the spine with a front squat you can't do that as soon as your butt starts to rise above your shoulders, you cannot hold the bar and you end up dropping the bar. You can't complete the squat. Another huge reason right there. Um, the safety squat bar, we use it, but I make sure that everybody goes through our foundation program first. So we don't use it with, within our foundation program. Everybody's kind of completed that, that uh, foundation program and we know they move correctly. Um, they can control their pelvis. Uh, we've basically checked off all the uh, all the things that we want to see before we would actually put a safety squat bar on them. Yes, can you use it? Absolutely. Is it a, is it a good alternative? It's not a bad one, but with too much weight and when you see an altered movement pattern, you can still have problems with the safety squat bar. What about the infamous bench press? Sure, sure, the bench press. Um, you know, <laughs> it's funny that. Uh, it's just funny how your your thoughts can change, you know, year to year. And, and honestly, in the last five to ten years, how I can go this way and that way. The bench press, is it an evil exercise? No, it's really not. My pro guys do it because I know when they go to camp, 
they're going to do it with their teams. Um, some teams actually will uh, barbell bench press a little bit, mostly dumbbell bench press. Uh, with with my high school athletes, all right. So anybody that I would train in high school through camp formats and things like that, I do not bench press them. I teach them the push up. It is it's the main staple of our foundation program. I talk about it all the time there. Any guy that comes into our program is training the bench is training the push up. Sorry, not the bench press. Once they graduate out of that, you know, foundation program into a more intermediate or advanced program, yes, my position players will start doing a neutral grip. Um, football bar bench press our pitchers honestly in in our collegiate program they never advance to a to a regular bench press we do a ton of loaded push-ups we have a bunch of different push-up patterns that we utilize but we uh we took the bench press out the dumbbell bench press floor press any of those variations we took it out probably about five or six years ago and again i i don't regret taking it out like i said i'll use it with my pro guys my college guys don't use it. We had, I've seen a lot of problems. If, if you're very, if you're adept at understanding how the scat moves and controlling, you know, having scapular control through your pressing motions and things like that, most likely you're not going to have problems with the with the with the bench press. But um, if you're not adept at that and and uh, knowledgeable about, you know, guys rolling into anterior tilt and you know dumping forward into that uh, to the front of the shoulder, then you can run into some problems with the uh, with any any bench press variation, even push-ups. But we want to teach proper patterns. I love the push-up for core stability, for uh, for scapular patterning. Those to me are way more important than just than just uh, training a muscle like the chest and the bench press. When you say loaded push-up, does that mean like putting forty-five pound plates on your back? Sure, we'll load it. I mean, we've got a bunch of different variations that we can load it with. One is what we call the baby, or not baby carry, the uh, backpack. Sorry, the baby carry is on the reverse reverse pull up. The backpack, uh, you take a band, put it through a 10, 25 pound plate, whatever, and you just wear it like a backpack. So the band kind of holds the plate on. Um, we prefer smaller plates. I don't love the forty five only because it's so big. It honestly sits on your scaps and is kind of it's kind of in the way of proper proper scapular patterning. Um, so I like the smaller weights kind of down a little bit, um, underneath the scaps, uh, so to speak, but we also use chains. I use a ton of chains for loading up the pushups. Um, we use that quite a bit. And then we, uh, we do a lot of pushup patterns. So push up into a dumbbell row, pushups into rotation, a, a, a lateral walk pushup. So it's, uh, it's not just your standard pushups all the time. We have a lot of variations on it. And then the upper body pull pattern. I did hear that you you're, you like you guys don't do the pull-ups very very often. So yeah, and well, in the foundation program, the pull pattern is way more important for us than the pull-up because what we see a ton of with incoming athletes, so high school kids coming into the program, junior college kids, doesn't matter. Posterior weakness, it doesn't from from the head down to the ankles. We see posterior weakness, and that's not just baseball athletes. We see it with football athletes across the board. Um, kids want to train the front side, right? They can see their chest, their abs, their biceps. They can see that stuff in a mirror. I want that stuff to get bigger. They can't see the backside, so that's often becomes an afterthought. Um, so that upper upper body pull pattern, we want to train scapular patterning, right, which is really a protraction. So we want to teach athletes to be able to take that uh, scapula and move it around their rib cage. You know, in a in a fully extended position, at the bottom of the movement, and then retract properly. So 
controlling their scaps through motion. The pull-up, yes, there is scap involvement. There's plenty of scap involvement, um, but it's, again, in a different plane. The uh, lat kind of acts as an internal rotator, which we're already very, very strong at or strong in a lot of the times. So we want uh, we wanted a horizontal pattern so that we could strengthen the scapular stabilizers, to be honest. And that's that's the primary reason that we use the uh, reverse pull-up. And then on the same token, it's the exact same thing as the push-up on the backside, right? We get core stability. The core isn't just your abs and obliques, which you see in the mirror. It's an, it's an entire corset of muscles that runs around your spine, right? Supports your spine. Your glutes are really involved in that as well. And so with that reverse pull-up pattern, we are teaching stabilization through the posterior side. We're uh, teaching scapular patterning. It's the exact same thing as a push-up, just on the backside. That's why we love it. What age should uh, kids start lifting? So, I mean, that that's that's an entire podcast in itself, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, you will see debates on Twitter all day long with this stuff. Honestly, there's no real there's no real research out there that shows that kids shouldn't shouldn't lift at you know a young age. There used to be talk about well you you can't lift before you're 14 or whatever the case was because you're going to seal growth plates and all this stuff. That's honestly that's we don't find that to be true. Um, now are we loading up eight nine ten year olds with with barbells and weight? No, we're not loading them up like that. We're teaching the movement patterns. There's there's plenty to be learned without thinking of it in terms of, of weightlifting or, 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 or utilizing weight, really. We can teach them all the movement patterns that we're showing here. And, you know, in the book even, I give regressions. And I'm not saying that your, you know, your 8, 9, 10-year-old kids are going to be able to do those yet. They're probably not. But as they, uh, as they get older up into junior high, yeah, we want to teach them those movement patterns. We want to teach them body weight control. Think about a kid jumping out of the tree and, and how much force – goes through their legs and their body when they land jumping out of a tree or off of a box or anything um, there's really no re there's no reason that we can't load kids up a little bit and and teach them correct movement patterns well I know you said down at TCU you um, you do a lot of work with the pitchers as well and speaking of younger kids I'm wondering uh, I know you just said you know they can start lifting then you know obviously not tons of weight but what about weighted weighted balls yeah, so that, again, it's a very depends answer, right? Um, so I have young kids that, you know, junior high kids in my camps and things like that over the summer that we will do some patterning with. I'll, I'll use a little bit of the, uh, the plyo balls, um, you know, from driveline. I'll use some of the plyo balls to, to pattern their arm a little bit, and I see, honestly, no problem with it now. Are we smart about which ball they're using? Yeah, we're not using the two-pound ball, the black ball, or anything like that, or the green ball on pivot pickoffs and things like that. Sometimes we might change a pattern. We come up with some of our own patterns when we see something something off. But they're using a variety of those balls to just pattern their arm. We're not training them for velocity. We're not training them for, uh, for strength or anything else. We're just training the movement pattern, right? Movement efficiency. Everything that we do is built around movement efficiency it doesn't matter whether you're on the mound in the weight room you know squatting whatever we want you to move better and the byproduct of moving better is really it's it's strength it's velocity it's um, decreased injuries 
So everything that we do is built around movement. Yes, we'll, we'll throw us with some of those younger kids. Um, but again, we're, we're smart with it and, you know, we're not using crazy heavy loads and teaching them to throw, you know, as, as hard as they can all the time. We're trying to pattern the movement more efficiently. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad you kind of talked about that because you hear a lot of people complaining about that. But I mean, the way you just worded it was perfect about how you're not trying to build her velocity. Um, when you when we start going into kind of speed and agility you see agility all the time you see like all these different cone exercises and and agility ladders and and stuff you're just making up everywhere i I see online is that overrated um i mean it depends on it depends a little bit on the sport on you know the needs of the athlete are there is there a time and a place for cone drills absolutely yes um we want to progress to to uh, you know, a more reactive, um, open chain movement where it's not predictive like cone drills are. So for for us, how we teach this was we teach it first through deceleration and body control, teaching our athletes how to stop, change direction, control their body in these positions, right? And then we might take them into some cone drills, some pre-programmed patterns is what we're talking about. Do I do that with baseball? No, because that's not the sport. Um, but our second progression is those pre-programmed and you know some some cone cone drills if you will and then the third progression is teaching them in an open format that's reactive having to react against a teammate having to react to an object coming at you that is sport it's reaction right um the speed ladder the speed ladder has its place too uh, i use that a ton honestly with my young athletes we're talking about you know the eight nine ten year olds the junior high kids we use the speed ladder a ton for fun for teaching jumps, um, for coordination training, I use it with my college guys here for warm up in season, just to uh, just to kind of throw a uh, curveball in there because, to be honest, they love it. They love competing on it. We race on it all the time. You just have to understand what the uh, what you're trying to get out of it. Is it for foot speed? Is it for you know speed training? Is it for any of that stuff? No, it's really not. But you can still utilize it within your program as as a piece of the warm-up, you know, for some coordination training just to get the body going a little bit. Um, honestly, as a little bit of a nervous system primer too. We use it on we use it on game days before uh, before we go out on the field, um, just to get the body going a little bit. The kids love it. They compete. They have fun with it. So I, I don't necessarily see a reason not to not to use it. We just have to understand why we're using it. Speaking of of game days and in season. Um, what are your thoughts on training in season? Oh, well, I am a huge advocate. I actually presented at the TCU uh, coaches clinic uh, last year. We have a baseball coaches clinic here. I think we had, honestly, about 450 coaches. That was my presentation was um, creating and developing an in-season program um, for, for basically high school coaches. So, yeah, I'm a huge advocate. We train three plus times a week here in season um we will never honestly train less than three times in season we are strongest in season because of number one consistency i love the in season period because we don't we don't miss anything right in the uh off season for us in the fall you run into things like there's spring uh, or spring break there's a fall break so we have a you know a three or four day window in there where there's fall break and then we have you know um thanksgiving and you've got finals and things like that that we have to really work around and we don't get a train in the spring there's none of that because we're in season so in season we can basically 
train when we need to. The, the kids don't have mandatory periods off necessarily like they do in fall. So our kids, it's just it's it's incredible the uh, what consistency can do for uh, for your training. And in season is the most important time. The only reason that we train in the off season, the reason that your kids train in the off season is to be good in the in season. So we don't want to take three steps forward in the off season and then four or five steps backward in the in season. We see way too much of that, way too much of it. I'm a huge advocate. What about when kids are off playing in the summertime? Sure. I mean, that's, that's a difficult, uh, that's a difficult scenario, but absolutely. I, I mean, to me, there shouldn't be a time of the year that, that kids aren't training and trying to trying to build their body, especially at that uh, high school level. There's no other time in their life that they're going to have the, uh, the the hormones, the growth period that happens. High school kids and even down into junior high will get 3% faster year to year without any training at all. They're getting faster without you doing anything. So imagine if you stack on a really good program, what you can actually achieve with these guys. I talk about this all the time. Um, you know, if you train three times a year with a high school athlete that you have, you know, maybe 40, 40 weeks out of the year, that's 120 possible workouts. And then you stack that onto four years. Imagine what four, 400 consistent or 500 consistent workouts would add up to in a, in a developing athlete. It's, it's huge. So the in-season period is, is just as important as any to me. I loved your uh, your tweet uh, that you put up on, on Instagram as well about you know taking you know what supplements uh, you know a player should take and, and your response was don't miss a workout for two years. Yeah, exactly right, <laughs> and that's the power of consistency in my opinion, and we see it here, and I want everybody to realize how powerful it really is. We have, our our guys are the strongest at the end of the year, so in the postseason for us. That's when our guys, we might have a guy that says, hey, I, re- I feel really good. Can I work up to a heavy single today? And we'll work up to heavy singles, and they'll hit all-time PRs during the postseason for us because we're consistent with our training, um, and it stacks up so much from that consistency. Incredible. That's Yeah, you guys are crushing it down there for sure. We got two questions, uh, two players sent sent two uh two questions and first one is from baker wooten hope i pronounced that right he said if you he said hey coach if you could possibly talk about how you keep the energy up in the gym during a long season well um that's actually a really tough question i'm not gonna lie um to me my job isn't necessarily to to keep the energy up um that's the culture that coach schlossnagel builds so the background of that is really the culture of your team, but I also rely on it a lot from the leaders themselves. That's that's to me where it should come from, because I'll tell you right now, I'm not a cheerleader. As a strength and conditioning coach, my job is not to be a cheerleader, and I'm not saying that you can't, you know, be high energy and things like that. But but I'm not here to rah rah you. If you can't get your if you can't get yourself, you know, up. For a, for a workout to make yourself better, to make your season better, your team and all those all those things that go into it. If you can't get yourself um, ready for a workout, then you know there's there's plenty of jobs out there that that will uh, that that need work that need workers, right? So you don't we're not you don't have to be here. It's kind of my response to that. Um, I want guys that are going to be intrinsically motivated, and it's yeah, it's tough sometimes, but. But uh, the culture that Coach Schlossnagel builds helps me with that. Um, if there's 
obviously if there's uh, times that we need it, sure, I might stick my foot somewhere, but um, hopefully it's coming from the leaders and, and uh, the guys can do it themselves. Last question. Coach, I'm currently lifting Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, upper body two and lower body two of those days, typically going about 75% of my max, doing shoulder, a lot of shoulders and squats and max out once every couple months. Is this a good program or should I try and find something else? <laughs> well, it's uh, the first thing we talk about when we're building a program is we, we, we put it in a needs analysis, right? So we talk about the needs analysis. What are the needs of the athlete, right? With, with, uh, with baseball, what are the movement patterns that we need to focus on? What are the uh, injury areas that we need to focus on? Obviously, the shoulder, the scap, the elbow. Um, how is your throwing program going into all that? So to, to me, break it down by a needs analysis and what you need. Do we need speed? Do we need strength? Do we need size? Am I worried about do I need to gain velocity through a throwing program? If we break it down by a needs analysis, we can answer those questions pretty easily. You know, if you've read any of my stuff and, and anybody out there has followed me, you would know that I'm probably I'm a I'm a three day a guy a three day a week guy. Um, we build our programs around the high low system, right? A high intensity day followed by a low intensity day, so that the guys can recover for another high intensity day. Um, I'm not a big advocate of a four day program in in most aspects for. For, uh, for our baseball program. So, yeah, he's probably not going to love my answer, but he can find his own answer by setting up that needs analysis and and uh, figuring out what he really needs to focus on and then taking the program in that direction. Awesome. Coach, really appreciate it. Again, for those out there, um, I already I bought the book already, but um, highly, highly recommend to all listeners uh, go grab it. It's it's ba- it's baseball specific. Uh, movement over maxes is what it's called. So if you go to movementovermaxes.com, uh, make sure to, to go grab a copy. And like I said, I've already got one. Highly, highly recommend it. So coach, really appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, Patrick, I appreciate it. And uh, let me know if you ever need anything.